Can you all hear me? Does this need to be up a little bit more? Are we good in the back? No. Up higher? Is that good? Is that better? That seems hot, but all right. Okay, so you've probably heard the saying that if you give a person a fish, you feed them for how long? A day. And if you teach them how to fish, you feed them for how long? All right. It's actually not in the Bible. It's a Chinese proverb. It's a really good proverb. Um, but I will... Okay. Do not go over there. I, one of our goals when we teach um, the Bible is, is, is hoping that you would uh, learn how to take this Bible, this thing that is... It's, it's ancient. It's, um, it's foreign. It's, it's complicated, it's beautiful, it's powerful. This thing that we call the Bible, God's Word, that we would hope that you would learn how to open it up, to read it, to interpret it, and then to apply it. And just like you would any other, any other ancient piece of literature, okay? If you took an ancient literature class, you would learn basic principles of interpretation. You would learn about how to uh, understand historical background and literary context, and you would... You would figure out how the genre matters and, and how that all of this plays into interpreting what's said. And, and the Bible is no different. It has, there, there are certain principles and certain, um, you know, techniques that, that really help understand and unpack what, what's going on here. And so um, last week, Drew passed out, we passed out this orange card. I don't know if you were here, if you got one, we got more on the back. But this orange card that kind of walks through this process and and the fancy term is hermeneutics, but it's simply just this principles of interpretation. It's, it's step one is understanding the author's intended meaning. Step two is what's the universal truth. And then step three is application. So what, how does this apply to us today? So I'm, gonna, I'm basically going to walk through that using 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 10. So if you have your Bible, open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, Starting in verse 10. By the way, for those of you who are new, we, we will be in 1 Corinthians all semester. We're just walking verse by verse through it. Last week, Alec did the first nine verses. Today, I'm doing the next seven. And, and the beautiful thing about studying a Bible, studying a book verse by verse, is we're not really in control of what's going to be talked about. We're we kind of at the mercy of the Word of God, which I, I'm thankful for and I like. So we are going to read that. I'm going to read it. I want you to follow along as best you can. I know it's getting dark. Um, maybe we can turn that light on, actually. If, this, if somebody could plug that in, Zach, and that might help you be able to see and read along. Because here in a moment, in about five minutes, you're going to get an opportunity to talk about the text with your friend next to you. So, but let me read this, starting verse 10. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no division among you, and that you be united in the same understanding and the same conviction. For it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people, that there is rivalry among you. What I'm saying is this. One of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in Paul's name? 
I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say you were baptized in my name. I did, in fact, baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not recall if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. Okay? So let's, let's start at verse 10. So when we're looking at this, we want to try to understand um, there's significant words that, that jump out. And for me, the first one is the word urge. Why is, he, why is Paul want to urge them to, to be unified? And um, the reason being, so this, this is, verse 10 is actually the beginning of the letter. Everything else before this is kind of introduction. Paul's way of introducing the letter. This is where he starts. So he's, he's getting into the meat of, of, the, of his letter and why he wrote. So he starts with unity. In fact, if you go throughout the rest of, of 1 Corinthians, you'll see that he is, he is going to preach unity because there is division in Christ. We see here there's division in spiritual wisdom, in leadership, in sexual ethic, in, in litigation. People are literally suing each other in the church. There's division in marriage. There's division in what to do with food sacrificed to idols. There's division in corporate worship. There's division in, in spiritual gifts and a big one. There's division over what, it, what the resurrection means and if it's actually true. So there's a lot of division happening in this, this church of, at, at Corinth. And Paul's writing to urge them to be unified. And he says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the word name is a big deal in this in this. These verses, if you notice, it, it appears three times in our text, and then it's implied four other times. And I'll, I'll, you'll, I'll explain that in here in just a second. But the idea of name is, is a bigger deal than it is in our context. To them back then, what Paul's saying is, he's essentially saying, it, it's power and authority. It's whatever name they operate in is the name that they believe has power and authority. So he says, he doesn't want any division, no division among you. Be united in the same understanding and conviction. This idea of unity is a popular idea. Um, it's, it's, it's popular right now because we've been faced with division. Like, if you look over the last 18 months, there has been a lot of talk about unity because there's been a lot of division between race and, and, and issues like politics and quarantining and masks and vaccines and distance learning and and now even what's happening in Afghanistan, like there's, you name it, and, and we can be divided over it. And there's a plethora of things that are going on that give us an opportunity to be divided. But what I want, to, what I want you to do, to do is you have to ignore your understanding of, your, your ideas of unity. Whenever we approach the Bible, we, we, we don't want to bring in, like, here's what I think it means. Here's my experience in the 21st century we need to kind of understand their words on their terms. So, um, what I'm going to do is, here in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to turn to your friend and um, read verses 11 through 17 again, okay? And, and then find out what he means by unity. In the context, specifically, what is he wanting them to be unified in, specifically? So, I'm going to give you two minutes. Go.
30 seconds. So, we will get to that. We'll get to the answer of that here in just a second. Okay, so I'm going to read verses 11 and 12. For it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters. That's that, that phrase again. He says, my brothers and sisters. This, that's Paul's way of reminding them, hey, we're family. By members of Chloe's people, that there has been a, a rivalry among you. What I'm saying is this, one of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Paulus, or I belong to Cephas, and, or I belong to Christ. So, we don't know anything about this lady named Chloe. We know that she, obviously, is a woman, but that's about it. We don't know if she's from that church or from another church. Um, um, but Paul but is reporting to Paul this, this division that's going on, and it's a unique kind of vision. It's division. It's not, it's not something that... Um, that you might see at church, if you, if you walk into a church, you, might, you wouldn't see this kind of division on the surface, but it's the kind of division that happens all the time. So she reports back, hey, people are bragging about who they follow. Now, if you remember uh, what I said about the word name, it's implied here in verse 12. It's, it's, I follow the name of Paul, or the name of Apollos, or the name of Cephas, which is actually Peter, um, or I follow the name of Christ. It's it's, it's, this, is who I, this is who I follow, so this is who I operate by a power and authority. And Alec mentioned last week, and actually Drew mentioned on Sunday, if you caught it, that there is, there in Corinth there were orators that would go around and, and use impressive language and speak these, these speeches that would um, stir up a crowd and get people to follow them and, 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 you know, and charge money and all these things. And so they're used to these eloquent, impressive speeches that, that would draw people to them, and so maybe they kind of fallen into the same trap within the church, like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm more of, a, of an Apollos fan, or, yeah, well, Peter, he was with Jesus, so I'm definitely more of his fan, and it'd be like, it'd be like um, some of you saying, I'm a, I'm a Scottian, or, no, nah, I'm kind of more of a Druian, or, or the cool people are like, I'm an Alekian, and all the rest of you say, I'm a Randian, um, <laughs> And then, and, then there, and then there's a few that are like, ah, that's cool, but I'm a Christian. It, what Paul's saying is like, it, it doesn't even, like, the four names that, that are mentioned there, one of these is not like the other. Like, not even close. And, and even, even the ones that are saying, I follow Christ, it's not like they're getting it. They're, they're seeing Jesus as like one of the other guys. And, and what he's saying is, no, 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 this this is you've got this all wrong. This is not, this is not the way it is. And so he, he he responds in thirteen. And this I believe is the key to this section. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in Paul's name? So anytime you see a string of questions in the Bible, like one right after another, most likely, in fact, I think always there is an implied answer. It's either yes or no. And in this case, what is the answer? No. The answer is no. 
it's, it's, it's no to all the questions. Is, was, is Christ divided? No. It Was Paul crucified for you? Obviously, he's saying it. He's right there. No. Or are you baptized in my name, in Paul's name? No. So, so Jesus, or Paul is getting to this, this, he's getting to the point. The point is, it's all about Jesus. Any, anything you saw in me, he says, anything you saw in Apollos or, or Peter, all of it is Jesus. None of us would be anything without him. And, and that's, that's the point of this text. It's, it's all about Jesus. It's about his, his message, his ministry, his mission. And so here's, here's what that message and ministry and mission is. That God created the world. And he loved the world. And he created us, his image bearers. And it, he, he, he set us apart as different, as, as very good, as the pinnacle of his creation. To know and to love him and to be in relationship with him. But... Um, like sheep, all of us have gone astray. All of us have taken what God has given us. We've used it for our own purposes. We've, we've worshipped created things over God. We've taken credit for things that only God can take credit for. And the Bible calls this sin. And all of us are in that boat. All of us have done it. But it says, but God, rich in mercy. He started a plan of, of redemption and restoration that culminated in the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. And, and by believing in Him, by believing in Jesus, there's life after death. There's, there's salvation in Him. We are made into the kind of people that can love God with our heart and soul and mind. And we can love others as we love ourselves. We're, we're made into... Um, the kind of people that can represent Him in this world and, and carry out this ministry of reconciliation um, to the rest of the world. And that's our mission. And that's, so that's, that's what Paul is saying. He's like, this is what I'm about. This is who we are about. L- let's not make it any... Let's not get confused at all. Christ is not divided. In fact, Paul's going to even make it clear about what he was called to, his task. It's interesting that Paul's using his name. It's... It's, it's, it's offensive to Paul that anyone would, would see him on the same playing field or any higher, obviously, than Jesus. So look at 14 and 15. He says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Christmas. This, this is actually, these, two, these verses are funny to me. Um, these verses are proof to me that someone didn't make this stuff up centuries later. Like, if you were going to make this story up, you would not add these verses. Because this is Paul having a memory lapse. Like, he's just, he's, he's, he's going and he, and he, wait, did I? Oh, yeah, I did. But that's it. No, that's not it. You know, he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that I baptized in my name, that you were baptized in my name. I did, in fact, baptize the household of Stephanus. But beyond that, I don't recall if I baptized anyone else. He's like, yeah. I, I, this is what I was about. I came. I wasn't about baptism. See, w- what Paul is doing, in, in, and I'll explain this here in a second, he's not pitting baptism up against preaching the gospel. He's just saying, I came to preach the gospel, and the gospel is all about Jesus. So verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. So, again, he's not saying, um, baptism isn't really that important. I came to preach the gospel. He's saying, 
baptism is a ministry of discipleship, is a ministry of the church, but before someone can get baptized, they need to hear about Jesus. They need to know who Jesus is. Before they give their life to Him, they need to know about Him. And, and so what Jesus is, or Paul is, is, is getting at is, listen, um, like, that's why I came. Don't you guys remember? I was there. I was talking about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So, speaking of baptism, I want to say this real quick. We have at our church on September 29th, we're having a baptism um, celebration. And it's really for anyone that is, that is thinking about or considering taking that step of faith and getting baptized. And we would love to talk to any of you about it. But baptism is a ministry of the church. And Paul's, Paul's calling, Paul's job was to travel, was to preach the gospel, was to start churches that would continue this ministry and, and as he would go on to the next to, 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 to preach and to support the other churches. He says at the end of verse 17, not with eloquent wisdom so that the cross of Christ might be emptied of its power. Think back to the eloquent orators who gave impressive speeches. What Paul is saying, this is profound, and this is, this is venturing into next week, and next week's text is a big text. It's, it's one of the more famous verses in, um, in 1 Corinthians. It, but essentially he's saying the cross doesn't need eloquent or impressive words to have power. It has power on its own. The cross is at the heart of of the message and the ministry and the mission of Jesus. So, to sum up, so here's what I would say. That's, that's, that's the, the author's intended meaning, okay? So here's how I would sum these, these two things that come out of this text for us that are universal principles, I think, that apply to all people at all times. And, and here it is. The first one is this. Be unified as believers. This is a big um, theme in the book of 1 Corinthians. Be unified as believers. And then secondly, is Christ cannot be divided. Christ cannot be divided. The ministry of Jesus cannot be divided up. It's either about Jesus or it's not about Jesus. It's not, it doesn't, it doesn't partner well with anything else. Jesus plus nothing is everything. So those are the two principles I would say that we get from this text. We're going to take a little break, and then we're going to come back and unpack this idea of Christ being divided and how I think it has a couple implications for our life. So let's take a break. I think there are maybe ice cream sam. I don't want to say it unless there are. Are there ice cream sandwiches? If there are, great. If they're not, you did not hear it from me. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. All right. All right, so I said, I said in this last time, I said that um, the kind of division that Paul is describing is, is a unique division. Like, none of us walk around and go, yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a Jim fan, and, you know, I'm a Drew fan, or I'm a whatever, Matt Chandler fan. Uh, that's, that's who I follow. Um, now, we don't, we don't really talk like that, but, but this kind of division that, that Christ is divided and therefore the gospel is compromised... Um, I think happens all the time. And so there are a couple implications that I want to just share with you that I think really kind of help um, us maybe digest and, and, and apply and think about this, this text and what Paul's saying here. And the first one is this, that there's really only one gospel that changes eternities. Boy, that was perfect timing. <laughs> Beep. 
um, there is only one gospel that changes eternities. So, you know, when I say the word gospel, it, it just simply means good news. And, 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 and sometimes um, Christianity can be um, talked about and, and Jesus can be preached, and, and yet there are other things that are going on there. There are things that are kind of mixed in and, and, and divided in. And, and so I, I don't know where, you, where you're coming from, obviously. A lot of you are, are new, and, and maybe you're getting away. Maybe you're new. Um, from leaving home and you're at college and you're thinking about things and, and now is the time to really start processing and thinking about like, like when I, if I call myself a Christian, when did that happen? How did that happen? What, what, did, what did I get saved to? What, what, what gospel did I believe? And, and maybe here, here are some that I've been in church for a long time and that I've seen. And been in ministry for a long time, and, and, and see that sometimes it's social pressure. To be honest, sometimes it's 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 parents and, and families that really really want you to accept Christ and get baptized, and you do, and and then you end up coming to college and you end up wrestling with it and going, yeah, I don't know if I really did that for me. I don't know what that was for. Um, maybe it was just about being a good person. Maybe it was about going to heaven. Um, but the, the Bible is, is pretty clear um, that a lot of times these, maybe even emotional pleas, like, like the, the last night of church camp. Um, the last night of church camp, you're, you're exhausted, you're tired, and there's, a, it, there's a, a plea to accept Christ. And, and I know a lot of people that have accepted Christ and like it's changed their life forever. And I know people that, that accepted Christ at, at camp and within a month or, or a year, it meant nothing. And so we have to kind of recognize and go, okay, what, what gospel was I saved to? What gospel did I believe when I came to Christ? Because there really is only one gospel that changes things from the inside out and that changes eternities. And the Bible says that, that, you're, that, that it's the gospel of Jesus is you being saved by, by grace through faith in Him, through His life, His le- death, His resurrection, His ascension, and that responding to Him means giving your life to Him, Him being Lord and Savior of your life. Jesus says in John fourteen six that He is the way, that He is the truth, that He is the life, and that no one goes to the Father except through Him. So that's, that's, that's what we kind of have to face when we come to the Bible and we go, hey, so what does the Bible say about being a Christian? And that's it. And, it's, and, and there's no division there. There's no other gospel that changes eternities. Here's the second thing. There is no cause worth giving your life to but the cause of Christ. There's no cause that's worth giving your life to than the cause of Christ. And this will take a little bit of time to explain. So, um, I graduated high school in 95, uh, did a year and a half of junior college, transferred to Ozark Christian College in 97, graduated in, in, and officially walked in um, May of 2001. That same May, Drew graduated high school, okay? So, just a few years behind me. He's my little, uh, <laughs> I, I like to say. Um, and so, he started, he started at Ozark Christian College, where I went and where Alec went. 
Alec is his little. Alec is my G little. Um, I don't. I don't even. I don't even know what I'm saying, honestly. Riley. Riley Farr told me to say it. Um, so, so, so Drew shows up to college in the fall of 2001. Does anyone know what event took place in fall of 2001? Kind of a big deal. 9/11. Okay. Traits and some of you weren't alive. Some of you were just alive. Um, but that that changed some things. That did some things, obviously. And and so there's a lot that we could talk about. I mean, it's been 20 years, and with all that's going on over there right now, a lot to be praying for. But back at Ozark Christian College, okay, Drew's a freshman in college, and and then there's a bunch of students that are there, and now they're wrestling with some big things because literally less than a month later. We're at war in Afghanistan, okay? And so college students at a Bible college especially are wrestling with, you know, how, how, should we as Christians be engaged in war? Should we go to war? The Bible says, Jesus says to love your enemy. I don't think it means pick up a gun and shoot them. You, you can see how they might get there, right? Especially if they're wrestling with whether or not they're going to be, man, it's, what's going to happen? Am I going to be drafted? Am I going to have to do this? What? So they're wrestling with a lot of things. Drew and I both know people, uh, guys in, in, at college, that started, they came to college because they loved Jesus and they wanted to be a minister of the gospel. And, and while they're there, and with all this going on, they thought, you know what, pacifism it really is the way I need to be. Like, I, I need to not be for war. I need to be against war and against violence. Okay? So they love Jesus, and then they're about pacifism, which is cool. That's fine. And, and then it became... There was a slow move. There, it became, okay, any, anything in the Bible that doesn't sound loving, I think we probably just misinterpret it, and let's, let's just ignore those verses. And then it moved to the, the God of the, of the Old Testament. He seemed kind of violent. So, mm-mm. let's just focus on the New Testament. In fact, let's just focus on Jesus' words. We're red-letter Christians, right? And then it goes to, wait a minute, Jesus said some things that I don't know if I, that I don't think sound too loving. And then before long, they got rid of all of it. But they held on to pacifism. See, that's, that's what happens when you hold on to a cause and you, you let go of Christ. Let me tell you about another person. Uh, this is a, a famous person. His name's Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German. He was born in 1906. He he grew up in the early to mid-1900s. He had an older brother that was killed in World War I. He decided at 14 that he wanted to be a theologian. That's when, he, that's when you figure out what you want to do with your life is at 14. So he, at 14, enrolled in some form of seminary, in, and he started down this road. He also um, decided he was going to be a pacifist as well. I mean, obviously, his brother was killed in war, so he's not a big fan. So he's a pacifist, and he's a theologian, and he gets his degrees, and he's teaching at seminaries, and then... Something interesting happens in 1933. Adolf Hitler comes into power. And in 10 years, Dietrich Bonhoeffer goes from theologian to pastor to, um, to spy, literally double spy. He, both sides thought he was a spy. And he was really working with a group of people who were seeking to assassinate Hitler. So how does a, how does a pastor who is a pacifist become part of a committee, a group of people who are trying to assassinate another human being. 
And so much so that um, they had several attempts. You can read about it in, in this book um, called Bonhoeffer. It's, the, his, it's his biography. But, it, but anyway, several attempts happened. Only one really took off, and it was, it was the one, this famous one, that blew up under a table. And luckily, the size of this table was so big that it saved Hitler's life. Apparently, the leg of this table saved Hitler's life. But now he knew there's people trying to kill him. And he didn't stop until he figured out who it was, and he figured out who it was, and it was Bonhoeffer and some others and his brother, Klaus. They were arrested in 1943. They spent time in prison, eventually were in a concentration camp, and then two years later they were hung. So they arrested in April of 43 and hung in April of 45. Three weeks later, Hitler killed himself. A week after that, Germany surrenders. So they die a month before this war is over. Bonhoeffer we know a lot about. He wrote a lot. He wrote a couple famous books, the, uh, Life Together, The Cost of Discipleship. Th those are classic um, books in, in, in Christian literature and theology and Christian living. Th this man grew in his love for Jesus all the way to the end, more and more and more. And he was trying to assassinate Hitler. How, do, how, do, how, how does this happen? It's because... Bonhoeffer, he didn't, he didn't lose Christ. He, he was a part of a cause that he thought was important, and, and it was important. And then, but he recognized, for him, assassinating Hitler was directly connected to the cause of Christ. Like, Jesus came to set people free. Jesus came to introduce them to, to, to the love and the grace of God. And then, like, everything opposite of what Hitler and the Nazis were about. And so it was very easy for him. It, the connection was made. Here, here's what I've seen happen is we can love causes or, or even people, honestly, so much so that we can eventually just walk away from God. I, I've, I've seen this happening. I'm, I'm and witnessing it in, in people that I know even currently. It, it's It's... There's a book out called um, When People Are Big and God Is Small that really kind of hits at the heart of this. And I think it's possible to, to want to love people so much that you eventually just you let go of the way God has kind of designed it to be with Him up, first, uh, up top. There's actually a text in the Bible where this happens to Jesus right in His face. It's in Matthew 16, 21. And you've probably heard about it. It's, it's the, the story where Peter rebukes Jesus. So here it is. It says, From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to, to Jerusalem and to suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and then raised on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned and told Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but about human concerns. Is it possible to love, to, to, to say you love people so much that you eventually just, you lose Christ in all of it? I don't know. I think it is. I think that might be what's happening here with Peter. Luckily, God was able to rebuke him and and correct him and get him back on, on track. 
Is it possible to say you love the opposite? Is it possible to say you love God so much, but you treat people um, terrible? 1 John has something to say about that. He says, 1 John 4.19, We love because He first loved us. Loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does, does not love his brother or sister whom he has not seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. The cause of Christ, um, Jesus, he's, you can't divide Him. You can't separate Him. You can't, if, and if you lose Him at, at, at the helm, at the head, you eventually will lose Him altogether, I think. I think it's just a matter of time. The cause of Christ is worth giving your life to and can be lived out in thousands of ways. Thousands of ways. There are so many different causes that you can be about, Right? I mean, that, 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 that you're passionate about, that help you become who God has called you to be, that help you bring restoration uh, into the life of those around you, or, or even this, this world, this planet. I, I believe there's so many causes that, that point, that can be done in such a way that are su- submitted to and surrendered to the cause of Christ. But there is only one cause that changes eternities. And so I want to challenge you, um, as you guys are wrestling with a lot of things, and wrestling with like all these, all these ways in which we can be divided um, over, that you not lose Jesus, that you keep Him central. Um, in that sense, you have the greatest chance to, to influence and to impact um, people's eternities. So let me pray. God, I thank You for Paul's um, correction in our life. Thank you that he he's all about you. That he didn't want credit or seek credit. He recognized where credit was due. That it's all about you, Jesus. God, I pray that you would um, keep us firmly granted or firmly planted in in your gospel. That we would come to know and love you, be changed by you and be ministers of reconciliation in this world, that we would go out and share your good news wherever we go. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.